Good morning, everyone. How are we doing this morning? Good, good. Glad to hear it. You sound really enthused about that. No, I'm serious. You do. I'm glad to hear that. Wow, summer's over. Can you believe? Well, almost over. Anyhow, school starts back this week. And uh, for some parents and grandparents, that's a wonderful thing. For the kids, some it's wonderful, some it's not so. But it, it just shows us how time keeps moving on, right? All right, so last week we began a series looking and studying through the book of Colossians, which is a book in the New Testament. Actually, it's a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians, a church in the city of Colossae. Now, I'm, I'm going to share with you, I, I really messed myself up last week, all right? And I've only remember a couple times I've ever done this since, I, since I've been here. But I got through the whole message with you guys, and I couldn't get it through in the other two services. Now, that's because of the music package. Our hymn packages tend to be shorter in length than the contemporary uh, praise and worship packages. And so I, I ran out of time last week, and I couldn't finish the message. So, okay, what do I do with that, right? So I got one group who's here, and I've got two other groups who's here. So I, I, I've got to kind of dance on my feet a little bit today. But really, this is, I'm, I'm kind of excited because what this is going to give us a chance to do in this service is to use what we learned last week in, in a little bit more detailed and intimate way. So a little bit's going to be repetitious from what we did last week, but, but I'm going to br kind of bring a new dimension, a new perspective into it so that I can get caught up with all three services, okay? So last week we talked about Colossae, and we know that the city of Colossae, ancient Colossae, is located in what is now currently known as Turkey, the country of Turkey. And this was a real center for the, the spread of Christianity through the Gentile nations. We saw last week where the seven churches that are mentioned in the book of Revelation, the final book of the Bible, are all located in the same area. So Christianity was really powerful at one time. How things have changed, right? You know, is Christianity really powerful in Turkey today? No, but it's one of the places where Christianity first flourished. Paul created many churches in there. So in Colossae, Colossae with three cities that were kind of near, you can see here, Hierapolis and Laodicea, were known at that time as kind of the woolen industry and fashion industry of the world, the known world. It was a very rich area. They, they, it was a very fertile area. Uh, it sits in that, that Lycus Valley, and because the, the soil was so fertile, it was a great place to graze sheep. And so they had the wool. Then we looked at last week also because the Lycus Valley had a lot of chalk deposits. Not only were they famous for, for raising sheep and creating wool and garments, they had the ability to create all kinds of exotic dyes to dye the material they made. So this was kind of like, I don't know, the fashion center in New York City now or whatever. This was one of the hot going places uh, in, in the world at one time in Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea were three of the most important cities existing at that time in this area. Now, we also looked at over time, though, Colossae kind of never kept up with Laodicea and Hierapolis. Laodicea became, became the financial kind of the Wall Street of the area. And 
Hierapolis became the resort area because they had a lot of natural springs and people from all over the world used to go there and, and, and bathe in, in the spring water and drink the spring water. People really haven't changed over the years, have we? We're still going to all these exotic destination places and they had them back then too. But for some reason, Colossae kind of fell off the map. And in fact, many Bible historians say that Paul's letter to the church at Colossae was a letter written to probably the least important of all the other cities he wrote letters to. By the 8th century AD, Colossae ceased to exist. People just abandoned it. And and for years, archaeologists couldn't even pinpoint the exact location of the city because it was just all grown over and everything was destroyed in an earthquake. But Paul now writes a letter to this, this church that's still in a city But the city's power is fading at the time. But Paul writes and he starts out the whole letter commending them. And he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is one of the only places that Paul had never gone himself. Paul did not found the church in Colossae. Paul has no, there's no record that he ever even visited the city of Colossae, although he had a three-year ministry in Ephesus, which is kind of at the other end, at the, at the Aegean Sea end of that valley, west of where Colossae was, about 120 miles. So Epaphras is the one who very likely founded this church as Paul was starting all these churches in, in this area of the world and spreading Christianity to the Gentile people. Colossae was, was a city he sent an ambassador to. He sent one of his apprentices to, to start the church there. But they became a, a powerful church. And they were very faithful to the Lord. And so Paul is, starts out acknowledging their faithfulness. And he says, because we've heard of your faithfulness and your love for Jesus Christ and your, your, your generosity towards other believers, he said, since we heard about you, since we heard there was this great church in Colossae, we haven't stopped praying for you. We pray for you constantly. Remember, at this point, Paul is in prison in Rome. And so even from prison, his prison cell, he's praying for this church because it's having such an impact in this area. And so he prays that, that God would fill them with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he says this, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. And I told you that as I was rereading this this passage over uh, a vacation time I was having for my daily devotions, this this verse jumped out at me, even though I'd read this this, uh, book many, many times in the past. But this whole idea of living a life worthy of the Lord. Now, I've thought about living a life, and you have to be pleasing to the Lord, but worthy of the Lord. I mean, mean, that's like beyond my, my, my conception. But Scripture tells us, That's possible. That not only can we live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, but we can live a life that demonstrates from God's perspective, worthy of the Lord, being worthy of the Lord and his blessing. And so that's where we started this series off last week. The whole idea of living worthy of the Lord. And Paul gives us four characteristics of what living a life worthy of the Lord is. Now, this is really important. Colossians, we're going to find it's such a practical letter. 
Such a practical book. Because it mirrors our times, number one. And number two, it gives us things. I mean, if you're ever asked by someone, why should I become a Christian? What values it? Well, you can say, hey, the Bible tells you how you can live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, it gives us four characteristics. We saw them last week. The first was bearing fruit in every good work, Colossians 1.10. And we know this is important because Jesus said in John 15.8, this is to my Father's glory. And living a life worthy of the Lord is trying to bring glory to God, right? He says, so here's how you can bring glory to God. Here's how you can live a life worthy to the Lord. He says that you bear what? Much fruit. Not just fruit, but much fruit. This is a fact, that's how you show people that you're really my disciples, is because my disciples, my family members, are characterized by people who make a difference, who bear fruit in the world. Then we saw in Colossians 1.10, the second characteristic of living a life worthy of God is growing in the knowledge of God. And we know that's important for us because Peter said in his second New Testament letter, 2 Peter 1.2, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I think all of us want God's grace in our life. We want God's peace on our life. And the doorway to that, Paul tells us, is growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and of God. Then we looked at being strengthened with all power, first, or Colossians 1.11. 1 Corinthians 4.20 reminds us, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. In other words, The kingdom of God, what really pleases God, what really gets God's attention, is not the ritualistic things that we do, the prayers that we pray, the songs that we sing. All that's important. But the kingdom of God is about power. Then we saw in Colossians 1.12, the fourth characteristic was giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Now, by this time, I remember last week, I was looking at the clock, and we had communion to do yet. We had the offering to take yet, and I was going, man, I'm in trouble. So I kind of just blew through this, saying, well, you know, we know what giving thanks to the Father is, but do we? Do we really? So I want to pick up here, and I want to bring a new perspective of what we're we're talking about with, with us today. Giving thanks to the Father. Let me ask you a question. What's the greatest thing God has ever done for you during your life? I love hearing people's testimonies about how God has blessed them. And so right now, I want want you to just, just take a moment and think about that. What's the greatest thing that God has ever done for you during your life? What's 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 the greatest? It's probably done a lot of things, but what's the greatest thing? Well, I'm sure if we had time today to pass the mic and get different people's responses, some would say, God saved my marriage. My marriage was crumbling. My marriage was ending. God saved my marriage. Some might say, God restored my health. I was in a terrible accident or I had cancer, and God brought me through that and restored my health. And Some might have to say that God blessed me with... With, with a job and the, the ability, I was, I was on, the, on the rocks financially and, and everything was collapsing around me and God restored me. And I don't know, it could be a lot of different things. And maybe one of those things even touched a nerve with you. 
But get this. None of those things constitute the greatest thing God has ever done for us. You know what the greatest thing God has done for us is? Giving us the opportunity to receive forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. Now, you might say, oh, you're just being pious up there. No, no, I'm really not. If we really think about this. See, Paul goes on to say, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Every one of us, beginning with me, really minimize We don't fully grasp, we don't fully comprehend what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. He's saying, first of all, he's qualified us. He's qualified us to share in the inheritance. And in in the Greek language that this this is originally written in, the idea is that as far as the inheritance, to have our proportion, to be merited our part in the kingdom of light but he's qualified us in his letter to the ephesians talking about the same idea in chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 paul says as for you you were dead in your transgressions in sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who was now at work and those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time. In other words, all of us, all of us started out like this. We were dead in our transgressions and in our sins. We were living under a penalty of eternal separation from God. Isn't it amazing how now, particularly, when things start going crazy in our life, what do we do? Man, we we hit our knees, don't we? And we start praying to God. God gets our attention. In fact, we've seen times when there's been national catastrophes. You're thinking back, now it's been many years, but we're coming up on the anniversary of of, of the attacks, the terrorist attacks on 9-11, September 11, 2001. And we saw churches were packed after that. You, we couldn't get enough chairs out. And all these congressional leaders who were in all this chaos today were standing shoulder to shoulder on the Capitol singing, God bless America. See, we were dead in our transgressions. Separated from God for eternity. Think about this. Never again having the confidence or even the opportunity and ability to cry out to God for mercy ever, ever again. That's where we started. He says, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. That's where we were. That's the future we had. Never having the opportunity to ever cry out to God with any confidence, with any even hope that he hears our prayer. 
particularly to Gentiles. Again, Ephesus, this is that city in the same area. This is the city where Paul ministered for three years and sent out ambassadors to start the church at Colossae. He says, particularly to Gentile people, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel. God's blessing had been on Israel. His revelation had been given to Israel and foreigners in the covenants of the promise. Look what he says. Here's where you were. You were without hope and you were without God. Now, you may have been religious. You may have had your own religious system. You may have had your own rituals. You may have had your own gods, and you may have had many gods that you worshipped. But in reality, you were dead in your trespasses of sin, and you were without hope and without God. Back to Colossians, though. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, we don't really get this. I don't either. I'm not speaking condescendingly. I don't fully get it either. But the book of the Revelation says, that one day at the great white throne judgment, whoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, and the only way to get our name written in the Lamb's book of life is by trusting Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14, 6. So everyone whose name's not there will be cast into the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone. That's not popular preaching today. Matter of fact, a lot of church schools are saying, don't preach that stuff, pastor. You're going to drive people away. Well, I, I, I'm a whole lot more concerned about standing in front of God one day and how I represented his word in than driving people away. Can I be honest with you? And I say this to you because I love you. And there might be someone here today who has never taken that step of putting their faith in Jesus Christ. And you're still living under that penalty. And how unloving would I be as a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ not to tell you the truth? How insensitive would I be? That would be a criminal, eternal criminal offense. So when we say that we are thanking the Father, we are being thankful because we can call him Father now. We had no right to call him Father we were living under God's wrath before Jesus Christ made a difference in our life. And so he says, one of the ways that we live worthy of God is to thank him for what he's done. He's rescued us, rescued. Think of that, rescued us. Jesus, the whole thing, him coming to earth was a rescue mission. Without him, we'd be hopeless and helpless and doomed to eternal separation from God, never again having the opportunity, the hope of calling out the name of God and God coming to our side to bring us peace and to bring us out of the valley of the shadow of death. Now, James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, 
also has a letter in the New Testament, and it bears his name. And James, who at first did not even believe that his brother was the Messiah, came to be the leader of the new Christian movement. His headquarters were in Jerusalem. And so James writes to new believers now. He's, he, he's now a believer. And he says some important words. The whole book is really important. But in chapter 1, verse 22, he says this. Do not merely listen to the word. And what? So deceive yourself, right? He says, listen, just coming to church and hearing the sermon, not doing you any good if that's all you've done is come to church, check the box off, and listen to a sermon. What's he say? Read it with me. Do what it says. Read it again. Do what it says. All right, now here's where we're going to take a little bit of opportunity. I'm not going to really have it. I'm really feel bad about it. I almost want to increase the whole thing, but then I get caught in this loop, you know, and I can't get caught in. But I want to do something with, with this group today that I'm not going to be able to do with the other two groups in our other services. Now, James says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Now, we're talking about what? We're talking about how to live worthy of the Lord. How to live in a way that our life is pleasing to God. Now, the first way was bearing fruit in every good work. Right? Now, let me ask you, how did you do that last week? You, you, you have a note thing in your bulletin. Take it out and take a moment here to think about how did you bear fruit last week? How did you live a life pleasing to God last week through bearing fruit? What kind of fruit did you bear last week? Now, again, there's different kind of fruit. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 says this, For once, for you were once darkness. We've been talking about that. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Now look what he, he says. For the fruit of the light, live as children of light. Now the fruit of the light, the fruit of the children of the Lord consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. All right, so last week, what kind of goodness fruit did you have? What good things did you do that brought glory to God? that brought help to somebody else in need? What righteousness in your life did you display at work or in your relationship? Was your life characteristic of truth? What truth fruit did you have last week? Then there's attitude fruit we talked about. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In fact, Paul writes, against these things there's no law. There's no human law. There's no heavenly law against being loving and joyful and peaceful and patient. All right, so last week, what kind of love fruit did you have? 
Last week, what kind of joy fruit did you, did you exhibit? Bringing joy into your life or bringing joy into somebody else's life. How about peace fruit? Where were you a peacemaker? Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Kindness fruit. Goodness fruit. All right, so as we think about what kind of fruit manifested our life last week, and some of you might go, oh, wow, I didn't think about that. That's the problem. That's what, Paul, that's what James is saying. Don't be merely listeners of the word and deceive yourself. All right, so make a goal. What kind of fruit will you strive to produce this week? Now, you can't do everything, and God doesn't expect you to do everything. He doesn't expect you to go down the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, check that one, check that one. I did that one, I did that one. But have a goal. What kind of goodness fruit do you want to have this week? What kind of righteous fruit do you want to have this week? What what is an aspect of, of truth fruit that you want this week? Or what fruit of the Spirit? Maybe it's more love. If you say, you know what, I'm going to focus on love this week. I'm going to have love fruit this week. I'm going to really be more loving. I'm going to try to, to make people feel loved around me. Or joy. I'm going to have more joy fruit in my life this week. Or maybe it's patience. I'm going to have more patience fruit in my life this week. Psalm 128.2 says, you will eat the fruit of your labor. You'll eat the fruit of your labor. Blessing and prosperity will be yours. That's what you want. That's what God wants for you. Now, the second thing was growing in the knowledge of God, right? 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn babies, here's our, our charge from Peter as believers, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. So, last week, How did you grow in the knowledge of God? How was that manifested in your life? Maybe it was through your personal devotions, and you had devotions last week, and so you read the Bible, and and you did that. Maybe it was that you were in a life group this past week, or at least you can all put down, if you were here last week, I, I was in church. Okay, I grew in my knowledge of the book of Colossians and how to live a life worthy of the Lord. Now, set a goal for this week. How will you grow in your knowledge of the Lord? Maybe after the service, you'll go back and get a daily bread, and you'll say, you know what? I'm going to start having daily devotions. Maybe it's, you know, I'm going to join a life group. I'm going to go out the next steps after the service. I'm going to get myself in a life group. Starting off the year, we're getting everything going again. It's a school year. Start, I, I, I'm going to right, set a goal for this week of what you want to do this week, what you intend to do, what your plan for this week is to live worthy of the Lord by growing in the knowledge of God. The third one was being strengthened with all power. Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Now look what it says, so that you might have great endurance and patience. So that you might have great endurance and patience. See, this Christian life is hard. 
And anyone who says it isn't, please tell me your, your, your formula. Please tell me how you, you're, you're, you're breezing through this. It's hard for me. And oftentimes we want to give up. And certainly there's a whole lot of negative voices always around us encouraging us to give up. And Satan is the biggest of those voices. He says, so that we have endurance and we have patience. And we looked at five kinds of power that we have last week, and I don't have time to, to reiterate every one of them, but they're positional power. In other words, because we are in Christ, we know our sins are forgiven. There's no condemnation on us anymore. We're not where we used to be. We're in a new place. All things are passed away. All things are new for us in Christ. We have that power. And when people say, oh, you think you're such a good person, I know who you really are. Remember, we went to high school together. And they try to tear you down and tear down your hope and your promise of the promise of Jesus Christ. You have positional power who lives in you. It says the Holy Spirit will bear witness with us that we are the children of God. We don't have to listen to Satan because we fall down occasionally. We all fall down, and, but we don't need to stay down, do we? See, that's our positional power. We know that we are God's children. We have Holy Spirit power. Again, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit empowers us. The Holy Spirit gives us boldness to witness for, for Jesus Christ. We have scriptural power. We can read the scriptures, and we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's powerful. It's alive, Hebrews says. Prayer power. James says, the prayer of the righteous is effective. It's powerful. We have community power. Jesus says, upon this rock, not you, Peter, but upon Jesus Christ, I build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Together, we have power. Individually, we have power. Scripture says God has not put us in, inside us the spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power. And when God sees us tapping into that power and claiming that power and living that power, he's smiling from ear to ear. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. Said, well, you know, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only something. We're witnessing. Let's witness, right? If you'll confess with your mouth. Well, I don't know. I know it doesn't sound fair, but the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in his heart. See, we get ashamed of the gospel because of political correctness and because of, of the culture that we live in. So he says, hey, if you're going to talk about God, talk about him positive. Talk about him with strength. Talk about the power of God. He says, if anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. You know, don't go, oh man, I said I'd volunteer for the nursery this week. I don't really feel like it. You know. All right, I go and show up and my service demonstrates that I'm not really there and engaged. He says, serve with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Oh, live the power that God has infused in you. Psalm 71, 18. Even when I am old and gray. Oh, that's speaking to some of us, huh? Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, O oh God, till I declare your power. Till I declare your 
power to the next generation. Your might to all who are to come. You know, sometimes we who get old and gray, we think that our time is done and our time of usefulness to the Lord is passing and our effectiveness for the kingdom of God is waning. Not true. Not true. David said, even when I'm old and gray, I'm not done until I've declared, not just through my mouth, but through my life. I've demonstrated the power of God to the next generation. So, being strengthened with all power, how did you demonstrate the power of God that's infused in you last week? How would you say, wow, I felt the power of God in my life this week? How might others say, man, you got a gear I don't have. What, what, are, what, what are you about? Giving thanks to the Father. Psalm 105, 1. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Make known among the nations what he has done. That's one way of giving thanks. You know, you know what people can't argue with? People can argue with your belief in the Bible is the inspired word of God. And they can say, oh, that's, that's crazy, and you're crazy for believing that. And they can, oh, and you're participating in church, oh, or you're tithing, oh, you shouldn't be giving 10% to the Lord, or your service, oh, you spend too much time at the church. They, they can debate a lot of your relationship with God and your belief, but they cannot debate what God has done in your life. The hard times God has brought you through. The transformation God has brought about in you from who you used to be to who you are now. And if there is no transformation or trans kind of thing going on there, something's wrong. How'd you give thanks to God last week? Think about it. Say, well, I, I gave the thanks to God by this. I gave thanks to God this way. I gave thanks to God. But more importantly, set a goal for this week. How will I give thanks to God this week? See, the, you have an opportunity in four ways, in four characteristics, in four categories, this week, to demonstrate a life worthy of God. To live a life that you can be confident is pleasing to God. Living a life worthy of the Lord. Colossians says, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, giving thanks to the Father. Next week... I'm so excited to share with you. Again, Colossians is such a relative book to our times. We're going to talk about next week the supremacy of Christ. That's a hot topic for today, isn't it? Is Jesus really... The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by him. Or is Jesus one of the ways back to the Father? Is he supreme or is he just really, really great? 
There's a big difference. And that's a question that as we talk to others about Christ and about our faith that, that we're going to have to address, what would be your answer to that? Come back next week and we'll see. Let's bow our heads. But right now, let's, let's, let's really kind of zone in on these four characteristics. And right now, listen for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen for that still voice that may be challenging you to bear fruit of love or patience or righteousness or goodness this week. That, to grow in the knowledge of, of God. How, what's your plan this week? To grow in the knowledge of God. How are you going to, to satisfy these characteristics? How will you display the power of God that has already been infused? It's not that you've got to wait for it to come. It's already been given to you through the presence of the Holy Spirit. How will your life demonstrate God's power this week? All we have this week, every one of us, me, you, every one of us here, is a wonderful opportunity to live our lives worthy of the Lord, lives that are pleasing to Him. But maybe you're here today and you haven't taken that first step yet. That first step is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Because all that what we talked about formerly, it says before you, you were living in the trespasses of your sin, before you were objects of God's wrath. Before what? Before trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Our ushers are going to come down and we're going to receive our offering in just a moment. If you have your offering prepared, you can put it in the offering plate. If not, you can put it in one of the offering kiosks behind all the seating areas. You can give on your phone. If you don't have time to prepare your gift before the offering plate passes, then you have one of those other opportunities. Let's go ahead and we'll receive the gifts today. And as we do, I want to talk to maybe somebody here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's where it all starts. You cannot, as much as you might believe in God, you cannot live a life worthy of God without trusting Jesus Christ as Savior. It's impossible. There's no, because there's no other way. That's the starting point. Then we, we get involved in, in, in trying to bear fruit, and then we, we, we live the, trying to grow in knowledge, and then we have power, because before we trust Jesus Christ, we don't have any of that. Those are attributes. Those are gifts that God gives to those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. And again, that's why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've never done that, God loves you. And maybe if you've never heard that, because most of them of the religions of the world teach that you have to appease God by living a good enough life. Some Christian denominations even say that because they don't hold to the supremacy of Christ. And we'll talk about that next week. But here, here's the truth. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever, say that with me, whoever, one more time, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And the way we get that eternal life, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. Not that Jesus is one of the way, but Jesus is the way. 
and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. You could do that right now. That's all it takes. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For it's by grace you have been saved through faith that it's not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's bow our heads one more time. Maybe you're here today and you have that need. I don't know. But right now, if, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and right now you're, the Spirit of God is bearing witness that you need to take this step in your life. I won't embarrass you, I promise you, I, in, in any way. But just so I know whether that need is present right here in this service at this time, you've never trusted Christ, and right now the Spirit is leading you to do that, would you just slip up your hand just for a moment till I see it? Anyone here? Father, from the testimony here, all who are here today have trusted Jesus as Savior. God, I certainly hope that's true. And Lord, that means that all the things we talked about are relative to, to everyone's life who's here today. And Lord, I know that, that in our hearts, we really do want to live lives that are pleasing to you. We really want to do, live lives that, that are worthy of you. And you've provided us four really simple ways to do that. But we can't, in James, we, we, we can't, as James said, be just listeners of the word. We have to do what it says. So God, help us all to have set some goals this morning for this week. And Lord, help us to realize those goals. For your glory, first, but for our strength, encouragement, and edification, second. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.